2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. This is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Loving Father, that you may bless the reading of the scripture, bless also the hearing of it, and Lord, that you would minister it to our hearts according to the working of your Holy Spirit to minister it to us and to edify us in faith, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as we look at this passage here, there's several areas, of course, we can note in particular one aspect of it is certainly the thanksgiving that Paul gives to God for the church and the growth of the church there at Thessalonica. It's always good to have growth in a church. And growth in a church isn't just in numbers. It is rather more adequately expressed in the spiritual life of the ministry of the people and how that they draw closer to God and uh, are showing themselves faithful. And so he does give thanks, uh, thanksgiving for growth. Then, says, then he also mentions as encouragement to persevere. Um, the perseverance of the saints is a, a vital aspect of who we are as being Christians. And uh, we, can we can be much encouraged to persevere in the Lord. Uh, well, it does take a great deal of effort, doesn't it, to persevere. Um, there are some things that are left to us. That is, God expects us to prove ourselves being faithful. He does expect us to 
um, show the kind of love and faith that is uh, lasting and enduring. And, uh, of course, he doesn't expect us to run away uh, in the midst of trials and sufferings, but rather to endure them for the Lord's sake and to wait for his coming. And so perseverance in our faith is important. And then he also, at the end of the uh, selection here, uh, uh, mentions prayer for success as he talks about prayer and how important that is as well. So we'd like to look at uh, these areas uh, this afternoon. Uh, Paul gives thanks for the brethren for their faith and love during persecutions. Uh, I recently uh, became aware of when some of the persecutions became much more intense and and it was just prior to this time of which the uh, church at Thessalonica was um, involved in 51 AD. It was prior to that. There was a lot of persecutions. And naturally, there would be persecutions that would continue. Um, and so these persecutions were those that uh, uh, were really against Christians and was, uh, in a way, dampening uh, the faith of some. Uh, but it is important to note here that these believers at Thessalonica, their faith was not dampened, nor was it their love for the Lord in any way subside, um, nor for love for one another. Uh, and we should always keep that in mind, that love for one another as believers is an expression of our love for Christ. And then also, uh, that was in, in verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 through 7, he says, Take comfort, for God is a righteous judge. Now, this particular passage, of course, it follows upon the day of the Lord, and so it has that theme of the day of the Lord in it. Uh, it isn't talking about the rapture of the church. Uh, it is talking about the, the uh, coming of the Lord and of that righteous judgment that God would bring against the ungodly. Now, uh, we are believers, of course, and whenever there is a time of persecution in the church, certainly uh, believers may think, well, are the, are the ungodly ever going to be held accountable for their great sins against the church, against the believers? Well, of course, it is true that they will be. They will be held accountable. And um, he mentions that here in part of this chapter as well. Uh, also, Christ will be glorified in his saints and count them worthy of his calling. And he mentions that in the last section here. Um, Wherefore, also we pray always for you, he says in verse 11. And uh, he mentions that... Um, the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ was something that each believer must count themselves worthy of. So wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And, of course, we, we're not counted worthy because of what we do. We're counted worthy because of what Christ has done for us. Let me be worthy of the blood you have shed for me. Uh, the idea of our worthiness comes from Christ. It doesn't come from us. But we can prove ourselves faithful. We can show ourselves to be 
uh, persevering believers. Uh, we can stand up against the persecutions of the time, uh, just as the Thessalonian believers were being asked to do. So let's look at some of these verses here as we uh, progress through this chapter. Um, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, and, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see that this, uh, this introduction, if you will, is one which is grounded and settled upon God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, uh, Paul always seems to, to place Jesus and, uh, and God the Father on equal footing. In other words, uh, he, gives, he gives credit to both of them as being part of, of the triunity of the Godhead. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes people, you know, will, will try to say, oh, well, the deity of Jesus isn't very clearly defined or that there isn't really a clear indication of the trinity of God. But actually, when actuality, when we look at it, uh, when we see the statements being made such as this, we find, yes, there is very clear indication that they're being placed on the same level. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of them are included in his introduction as he uh, mentions here. And of course, he adds uh, uh, Silvanus and Timothy uh, because they were co-laborers with him. Uh, add grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, um, he, uh, he brings this introduction very strongly forth upon the basis of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this very important aspect of the uh, comforts of God that he places here, the peace from God, and so he talks about that grace and peace, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two areas, of course, are very important as uh, spiritual comforts for us. Um, the grace of God, if it were not for the unmerited favor of God toward us, we find would find ourselves in a very bad situation because we would not have the hope of eternal life that we do have. So the grace of God, um, though we often read about the grace of God in the Bible, sometimes we just quickly pass over it um, and go on to the next thing. But without that grace of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have the hope of salvation. And then he talks about peace. Of course, the peace of God and peace with God, that aspect of, of why we can uh, glory truly in Christ our Savior is because we have peace with God and now we have the peace of God. And so these two are very important uh, graces or comforts that, for us as believers. Now remember that this is the first century. These are Christians which are just some 50 years after the, uh, the death of Christ. Um, the church is uh, in its infancy really um, and we find that they are facing a great deal of trials and tribulations. Not only from Jerusalem as they are uh, looked upon from Jerusalem as um, 
as followers of the way and those who are troublemakers as far as the Jewish order of things is concerned. But the Roman government wasn't exactly in favor of Christians. Uh, Christians did not want to bow down to the emperor. They did not want to offer the sacrificial uh, sacrifice in emperor worship. Uh, they were not involved with uh, the kinds of things that uh, promoted the temple worship, the pagan temple worships of the day. Uh, they stood against the culture and the economy of Rome because they were going against the flow of things, you see. And I'm sure you've all seen the, um, perhaps you've seen the movie Chosen, which is recently out on Angel Studios. Um, I don't know if you've watched Angel Studios, but it has, the, it has a whole segment, season one and season two, of called Chosen. And it's, a, it's about Christ and the disciples and the calling of, of the disciples. And um, they have this little a motif at the beginning of these fishers and all, they're sing, swimming in a certain direction, but then there's these other fishers that are swimming against the flow of the rest of the fishers. Go against the flow is a common phrase which was, is used sometimes in Christianity in relationship to Christians. It's a very interesting um, rendition uh, of uh, Christ and the disciples chosen. And uh, in, another interesting thing about the program, and I'll just briefly tell you this, is that it is all uh, pretty much uh, believer-supported. It isn't, doesn't have a big studio behind it. In other words, Christians send in their money to see this program continue. So it's, it's a kind of a groundswell among Christians to support uh, the produ production of uh, this kind of programming. Look it up, Angel Studios Chosen. You, I think you'll enjoy it. <clears throat> but uh, getting back to the text here a little more closely here, is that it is because of the grace and peace of God through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christians in the first century, they were going against the flow of things. They were standing against Rome in many different ways culturally. And certainly, spiritually, they were standing against Rome. Um, consider today, I mean, we're, we're of course, removed from, from the first century by a couple of thousand years now. But still, Christians are supposed to go against the flow. They're supposed to go against the culture. They're not supposed to go with the culture. They're supposed to go against the spirituality of the day. The spirituality of the day is, is very much a, a new age spirituality that is going on. In our, in our day and, and in our culture. From, you name it, all, all kinds of isms are, are propagating in our culture today. We, we, we have to stand against the kinds of spirituality there is today. And in many different ways, we stand against the kind of, of uh, political and social unrest there is in our day as well. Uh, that it is difficult to, uh, to enumerate everything, of course, but I hope you get the idea here. The Christians in the first century were going against the social, economic, political, and spiritual powers that be. And they were trying to be faithful and true to God. And we must, do, of course, do the same thing. Verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith groweth exceedingly. 
your faith groweth exceedingly. I don't know anything that would be that is a a, a, a better goal for the pastor of a church than to see the, the the brethren grow exceedingly in faith. I mean, this is this is kind of like the most important thing that can happen. Numbers numbers are one thing. You know, everybody wants a packed church. I mean, sure, why not? You can talk to more people, right? But uh, you can have a packed church of unsaved people and not be get, not, they're not getting saved. They could be just traditional Christians sitting there and, and uh, coming only because they feel some, some sense of obligation. Uh, but if you have believers who are growing in faith, who are reading the Bible, who are praying together, who are ministering to, to one another, who love one another, who show concern for one another, who, who care about each other and contact one another and seek to edify and build up one another. Now, this is the kind of a church that is, that is good. This, you know, this is kind of the kind of growing faith that is important. And, of course, this faith is something which is, isn't static. Faith isn't static. It isn't like, oh, I've got all the faith I need and I'm all set. You know, no, faith is something we have to, we have to keep working at uh, to trust God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yes, it is of God. Uh, by grace are ye saved through faith. As they say, it's kind of like the channel by which grace is, is, is uh, brought into our lives. Uh, we have to believe, but at the same time, we must continue believing and growing in that in that faith, growing in that faith. Can you imagine the 12 disciples when Jesus sent them out two by two? And he says, okay, you've seen me do miracles. You've seen me teach uh, these truths that I, I have brought to you. You've, done, you, you've been w- with me. You, you've been seeing everything that I have been doing. Now I want you to go out by two by two and do it too. I want you to do it. Now, if that doesn't shake you in your boots, I mean, how would you like to have Jesus tell you to do that today? If it were possible, Jesus was here, and he would tell you, I'm going to send you out two by two, and you're going to heal people, and you're going to, you're going to win people to Christ, and you're going to bring them into the kingdom. What would you say? I mean, we all just kind of shudder and think about, how am I going to lead someone to the Lord? Say nothing about doing supernatural powers. Oh, you say, well, we can't do supernatural powers today. Well, okay. Well, can you do the unsupernatural ones and let God do the supernatural ones? <laughs> you know, we, um, I, this, is, this is quite telling, really, when we stop and think about it. Their faith groweth, he says. The, it is growing. Their faith was growing. And the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. The love, the, the love of God abounded, abounds in, abounded in them. It was exceedingly abounding. And I think, I think that one could be a good subject to talk about for a, a long time. Love, abounding love. How can we demonstrate abounding love? And again, like faith, we, we don't do it just once. You know, this is supposed to be something that kind of identifies us for who we are. We're supposed to be people of faith. We're, su- 
not just any faith, growing faith. And we're supposed to be people of abounding love. And not just one act of love, but love that continues to show itself over and over again. Abounding love. To one another. And to others, of course. But if it isn't to one another first, it won't be to others. The kind of love that really God wants us to show is that Christ-centered love to one another. And then to let that spill over you know, into other people's lives too. If we can create it within, the own, within our own church, within the church, it will, it will be seen outside of the church. In verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So he, he says that we ourselves glory in you. They, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, they were glorying in the Thessalonian church for their faith and their love that was growing and abounding. And they were telling about this to the other churches. Now, now see, that's something pretty important when you stop and think about it. How would you like to be a church that everybody else is talking about because the faith is growing and the love of God is abounding in, in that church? How would you like to be a part of that church? You see... And, and that's what he's saying. He's, you know, that's what he is saying. He says that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith. And of course he also mentions, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. And of course he adds the persecutions and tribulations. Well, no, you know, we just run away from those things. I mean, if we can keep the good stuff and run away from those, we're pretty happy. But they had all of those too. Even in the midst of their persecutions and and tribulations, their faith was growing. Their patience was evident. Their enduring patience was evident. And the love of God was abounding in them. And all the other churches knew it and recognized it. And Paul was glorifying God among the other churches because of this one church and what it was doing. Well, it is difficult, isn't it, to live up to a model church. And some, you know, have, some have stated, you know, Thessalonian church is like a model church in many regards. You know, that's why some mothers, you know, when you start uh, using Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, in the book of Proverbs, and you start preaching on that, a lot of the mothers are kind of like, well, how do I measure up to this virtuous woman? You know, how do I do that? It's, it's difficult to measure up to an ideal. Christ is our ideal. I mean, truly, we're supposed to measure up to him. And so, it, uh, I can imagine that these other churches were looking at, at the Thessalonian churches and they were saying, is it really? Are they really that good? Are they really that good? But Paul believed they were. Paul believed that they were that good. And, and he was uh, giving thanks to God for them. In verses um, 5 through 7 here, uh, certain comforts 
in the persecution that they was going through. And it could very well be when anybody goes through these kinds of persecutions, they think, well, certainly the Lord must be going to come soon. I mean, Ed Seeley, you know, he mentions in his letter, you know, they seems like the, earth, the world is spinning out of control. Well, I'm, surely, I'm, I'm sure that the first century church thought that too. I mean, they were living under a government that literally killed their citizenship if they happened to be Christians and going against the flow of things. Going against the culture, going against the spiritual life of, of the government. Going against the emperor worship. I mean, they literally killed them. I mean, if you were living in China today, you might, you might think the same thing. Well, surely things are getting pretty bad. They have concentration camps where they're rounding up the Muslims and they're rounding up the Christians and anybody who is a little bit of a dissenter, whether you happen to believe in this particular spiritual truth or that one, and it doesn't go along with the Communist Party, you might find yourself killed. And I'm sure you've all seen some of the images on on the news recently, especially Newsmax, has had them on there concerning the Holocaust. Six million Jews that were literally killed by the Germans. Killed by Hitler. What, what I mean, persecution. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, history is no stranger to persecutions when it comes to Christians suffering. And of course, that story is a very big, big and broad story which covers a lot of time. Um, but here the Christians, here the Christians as well, they were suffering persecutions and tribulations and they had patience. He says, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. He thanked God for this church. Well, you know, as a pastor, if your church is, if, if, if your church or people are going through tribulations, I mean, isn't this the right thing to say? You would want to say something to these believers and say that you would hang in there. Be, just wait a little while longer. Don't give up yet. Keep patience and faith in Christ and hope in the Lord. You would want to say those kinds of things. And, and Paul was saying these kinds of things to the Thessalonian church because he, he was seeing it. He was seeing it. They were doing the very thing that he was saying. I guess it's yet to, we have yet to see whether or not the church in the United States will live up to this, to this particular ideal that we're talking about here. And so, um, in verse 5, this is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. And so the righteous um, judgment of God is that God will judge the ungodly. 
the, the day of the day of the Lord indicates that it is a time of great trial and tribulation. Now, of course, the, we we believe that the catching away of the of the believers is one element of the coming of Christ. But the second element of it is this particular judgment that God is going to bring against the ungodly. This is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Well, you see, the believers do suffer for the kingdom of God. That is, we believe that Christ is going to come and establish his kingdom at some point in human history. We believe that he is truly the Christ, the Son of God. We believe that salvation comes through Christ himself, by grace. And we are enduring upon the basis of the kingdom of God. And so he, he is seeking to put this in some perspective for the Thessalonian believers, and I hope that you also see it. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And so, of course, he's talking about this righteous judgment that would be against those who bring persecutions against them, against the Christians, against the Thessalonians here. I guess the timeless nature of the message that, that is given in the New Testament is that it applies in every age to which we find Christians living. Whether it's the first century, Paul taking these words and speaking them directly to the first century church, or whether it is today giving this same message to the 21st century church, the church that exists today, realizing that the same thing is true. God will at some point come in retribution against the ungodly. And he will recompense, he will recompense he will, he, that tribulation to them because they trouble, they have troubled the Christians. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now you can see that verse 7 indicates this is not the, the rapture he's talking about here. No, this is, the, this is that period of time when Christ shall come with ten thousands of his saints, so to speak, when he comes to bring retribution against the ungodly. Inflaming, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that Christ will come. He will come at some point to bring judgment. He's not talking about the, the believers, uh, the rapture of the church, because Christ doesn't come to bring judgment against the church. But he does bring, come to bring judgment against the ungodly. He does do that who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, so, you know, we're really talking about fire and brimstone and hell and damnation that will be brought against the ungodly. 
you know, I, I suppose it's a little bit difficult for us to think about. You know, if you're reading some of the imprecatory psalms where David and uh, David brings certain words of, of uh, a scripture against the enemy, asking God to take retribution against the enemy. You know, there is some sense to you say, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. You know, bring that judgment down, pour fire and brimstone on top of them in the imprecatory signs. Do you know anybody who's unsaved you want God to bring fire and brimstone down on them right now? Do you know anybody you really, you, you would say, oh, bring it down, Lord. Pour it on top of them. You know, most of us say, no. But there might be a few people, maybe, you know, maybe you might put Putin in there, or you might put old Chi over there in China in, on, on the list, or, or maybe North Koreans, potentate. You know, there's some people, you know, you would say, oh, it's okay, God, put some fire on top of them. How many unsaved people do we know? Do we want that to happen yet? We want to see them saved, don't we? We really do want to see them saved. But when Christians are in the midst of persecution, suffering, the righteous judgment of God is a certain comfort. Because even the psalmist, you know, proclaimed, How long, O Lord? You know, would he have to endure before God would take up his cause and destroy his enemy? And, you know, maybe, you know, in the back of our minds somewhere we say, well, Lord, it's been going on for an awful long time. You know, the world is getting worse and worse. When are you going to straighten this mess out? When are you going to judge righteously against this ungodly age we live in? And we may, we may truly mean that. But that is what is going to happen sooner or later. God is going to judge. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Now that's quite a long time. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so the ungodly will suffer complete destruction or or complete uh, annihilation, and not annihilation, but separation from God and His presence. Separation from God and His presence. They will not ever know the presence of God. You know, but the believer, the believer who does know the presence of God will be like heaven to them. We shall be like Him, for we shall know Him as He is. That's when we see Him. Now see, that's what we're looking, on, looking at with with great anticipation. But the ungodly, if they could only catch a glimpse of this, so I suppose Edwards in his famous message, Sin is in the Hands of an Angry God, you know, he had them kind of hanging over the flames of hell uh, by a spider web, pretty much, you know, in his sermon. Um, he, was he was dangling them over the, the everlasting destruction from the presence of God, um, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, verse 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. 
And so that is when this will happen. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints. And so God means to glorify himself in his saints, in the believers, in those who are truly Christians and followers of Christ, in those who have growing faith, in those who love one another, in those who truly are suffering patiently under the persecutions of the time and enduring unto the end. To all those who love him, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and have the grace and peace of God in their hearts because of it. God is going, God is going to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And then lastly, um, in the passage here, Christ will be glorified in his saints and count them worthy of his calling. He says, Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Now, as much as Paul gives great words of admiration to these believers, he doesn't neglect to say, we're continuing to pray for you, believers. We're continuing to pray for you and to count you worthy of this calling. What calling is that? The sufferings which we face concerning Christ, standing for the kingdom of God and the righteous judgment of God. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. God is so full of, 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 of these blessings and benefits that he gives to us. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, Psalm 1. God is full of the blessing that he gives to the believer, to the one who fears God, to the one who walks with God, to the one who trusts in God, to the one who endures in Christ. Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you, oh, you see, we're not worthy of any of this. We're not worthy. Christ is the only one who allows us to be worthy of these things. Christ alone. Nothing we do ever makes us worthy. We don't add one little iota to our salvation by the things we do. But when we show ourselves faithful in faith and in love, in grace and in power unto God, in suffering and enduring, in patience and long-sufferingness, in all those things that amount to our true standing for the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, we show ourselves faithful and worthy in the calling. Worthy in the calling that Christ has called us to. You see, we have a calling. It is difficult. It is most difficult but it is one that can be fulfilled as we trust in Christ. And that's what he was, of course, 
giving him, them these comforts for, that they might realize that these are their comforts. These are their comforts that they have been given. They are not empty comforts. There is a great thanksgiving toward God for these Thessalonian believers and for you, beloved. Because of their faith, because of their love, because of the grace of God, because of the peace of God, because God is righteous and will bring righteous judgments against the ungodly, God will and shall accomplish all his purposes through his people and they shall be counted worthy of their calling. They shall be counted worthy, you see. And we don't know when that day is coming. When the day of the Lord shall come. And we're, we're waiting for the rapture of the church. <laughs> but you see, these were living believers in the first century. We are living believers in the 21st century. And we may be called upon, and are called upon actually, to, to experience the same things if necessary. Right now. Right in our own lifetime, we're called to experience the same things. And so they're comforts to us, just as they were comforts unto the first century believers. Comforts in the day of trials. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. I pray your grace and mercy in that we may prove ourselves to be those believers who are counted worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for our closing hymn, <clears throat> number 632. I think that's Sweet Hour Prayer, 632.